Well, good morning, everyone. This morning has already been different and will probably continue to be different. Um, I can't say when it will end. That's kind of up to the Lord. So I, I have goals for how long the sermon will go. But what the Lord will do afterwards, I don't know. We're going to spend a considerable time in prayer uh, together. And so uh, if, if that extends, if the Lord chooses to do that, then we will do that. And we're on his timetable. Before we begin, let's, uh, let's go to him in prayer and ask his blessing on our time now. Father, we come to you now and declare that we trust you. Declare that you are God and we aren't. We declare that you are holy and high and lifted up and that we are a fallen and finite people and yet you make your dwelling among us. You sent your son to be one of us in order to redeem us. You gave us your word that we could understand things about you, things you cared to communicate about yourself, things we would not otherwise have been able to discern. We would have been stumbling around in the dark making things up, but you gave us your word that tells us truth from you. And so we rejoice that we have that. We rejoice that we have this great privilege of prayer, and uh, we will exercise that today and look to you. Father, I ask your blessing on this time. It's, it's yours. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and open your Bibles, if you would, to uh, James chapter 5. We are going to do verses 13 through the end of the chapter today. As you think back on what we've done as far as sermon series this year, we, uh, we kicked off the first sermon of the year was, I'm sure you all remember that, right? You just scroll right back to it. The year of revival. And that was an intro to our sermon series on the gospel essentials. And we spent several months preaching through essentials of the gospel. From there, we, we shifted our focus and we focused specifically on holiness and humility, the holiness of God and, and uh, the holiness that he requires of us and humility, our humility before him and whatnot. And uh, frequently throughout the year, from those very first sermons until just recently, we've referenced a particular passage in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 7:14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And so that's kind of the ground that we have covered leading up to the book of James. And that we started back in August. We dove into James and, and James has taught us how to live in times of trial, in times of hardship and difficulty and and through all that, still keep our faith and our lives and our churches intact, even in the midst of those difficulties. James has taught us how to understand the root and the results of temptation and sin and worldly behavior. He's addressed having anger toward God and anger toward one another. He cautions us against partiality to different kinds of people. He's addressed hypocrisy and harsh, sinful speech. He warns us to seek wisdom from and friendship with God and not the world. And finally, last week, we looked at the call for patience under suffering. Today, we're going to wrap up our time in the book of James and, and uh, finish this out. We're going to look at some final instructions that are given in this, uh, this last paragraph or two. And uh, today... Uh, our message will be much shorter because what we want to do is spend a considerable time putting this passage into practice together this morning. 
And so we're not going to just give you instructions and then trust that you do that at home. Uh, we're going to do that together so that we all uh, come in, in uh, into obedience to this passage, even this morning. So with all that being said, let's go to James chapter 5. We're starting at verse 13. By the way, if you're using the, the Pew Bible in front of you, um, we are on page 1013. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, you can take that one. That one's yours. Page 1013, starting at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. May God bless the reading of his word. You have in your hand there an outline. It's a very simple outline, much simpler than we normally do. And it's just a few points that I want to hit on because I want to uh, stay brief and uh, just explain a couple of highlights. Uh, first of all, in our passage here, the basic instruction is uh, to go to God with our trouble and with our joy. To go to him with our trouble and with our joy. He says, is anyone suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. The source of those things is God himself, and he wants us to come back to him with our troubles, to ask God to help us in our troubles, but also to remember to go back to him when he answers prayer and when things are going wonderfully, to go back and praise him, to sing praise to, uh, to God so that we respond to God both in our times of trouble and in our time of joy. So the first point is very simple, but it's a good reminder because how often do we forget to go to God and thank him that things worked out wonderfully, that he answered all kinds of prayer? That might be because we forgot to pray about it in the first place and God came and did something wonderful and so it never occurs to us to, uh, to praise God for that thing working out or sometimes we just forgot that we prayed about it or we just kind of were... Whew, relieved and breathed a sigh of relief and went on with our lives. We need to remember to go to God in times of trouble and in times of joy. Second instruction is a call for prayer. Call for prayer. Look at 14 and 15. He says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Let him call the elders of the church. That, that requires a degree of humility on, on the part of the person to, to call uh, to, to the elders of the church, right? It might be embarrassing because the elders are going to come to your house and you're not in your finest form because you're sick. And they're going to come to your house and they're going to find you weak and your house probably isn't kept up like you'd like it to be. You might not smell great because you've been in bed instead of the shower, right? It requires some humility and that might keep you from wanting to call the elders, there's also a certain requirement of faith in calling the elders, right? They're going to come and they're going to pray over your, over your sickness, asking God to heal it. And what if after all of that you went through the trouble of calling the elders and they came over and they, they pray? What if God doesn't heal? 
Well, so you might have some fear of that. You might be afraid to, to trust God in that way. And so uh, you, might, you might not have the degree of faith that's required just even to call the elders. And so those fears might keep you from doing that, might keep you from calling us. I've been an elder here at Parkside for six years. And uh, I've been amazed at how few times we've been called to come to someone's house and pray. So we conclude from that that you are the healthiest congregation that has ever lived. We know that's not the case. We know that's not the case. And so I, I, I don't know if it's, the, if it's the, the humility that it takes. It's kind of humiliating, right? You know, for me, you know, if I've been in bed for a couple of days and to call the elders and have them come to my house and come into my bedroom, that's awkward, you know, and because I'm laying in bed, I can't get out of bed and I need help. And, and to have them pray, it, it, it's, it could be humiliating, right? Or maybe it's, maybe it's the faith. Maybe God won't answer that, right? Or maybe it's, maybe it's a sense of independence, right? I'll just suffer through this. I'll just get through this. Which, by the way, kind of refers us to the passage before where we were instructed to be patient in our suffering. Be patient, right? The Lord's coming. Be patient. And so you're there suffering alone in your home, right? This passage kind of puts a balance on that. It says, yeah, you don't go off swearing oaths or making, making it work however you can, but pray, in the midst of that situation, don't just suffer through it. Pray. And more specifically, ask the elders to come and have them pray for you. And so that's our offer to you. We're instructed by Scripture here to be willing to come and pray for you guys when you're sick. Call us to your home and have us pray. We would love to be busier doing that than we have been. I know it's a humbling thing and i know it requires a degree of faith but james says is anyone among you sick let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him and today's service is sort of an example of that right we're not going to come to your house and you know find out who's sick and go to their house and do that today but we wanted to kind of do that all together in a sense and people have responded with these cards that we've talked about the last couple of weeks and we're going to later on have the sick people come forward and sit in the front row and we're going to anoint you with oil and we're going to pray over you and ask God to heal you. And maybe God will show up and do miraculous things. We trust him for that. But we want to go and we want to, we want to uh, offer those prayers and ask that God would work in those situations in your own lives. He says we're to anoint with oil. I don't know how many of you have seen that or had that done to you. But it's, it's a symbolic thing. It's a, it's a, it, there's a lot that goes into this idea of anointing with oil in the Old Testament. But as it applies here, it refers to putting oil on you. By the way, in the Old Testament, it was like, glug, 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 like a lot of oil all over you and kind of gets smeared all over you. You know, it's supposed to run down. We, we don't really do that, right? Because I'm not sure why we don't, but we don't. <laughs> but we're going to put some oil on you, and it represents the Holy Spirit. Oil represents the Holy Spirit. And we're just using that as a symbol, a picture for you to remember, to think about, uh, kind of to help you pray that the Spirit of God would so work in your body and in your sickness and in your life like that oil that kind of runs over, you, gets in everything, and it kind of becomes a part of you, right? That's, that's what the Holy Spirit, that's what we want the Holy Spirit to do in your life is to, to work in such a way like that, to anoint you in that sense. And so we're going to do that with oil and we're going to come and pray over you. The oil itself doesn't do the healing. It's the prayer of faith that does the healing, right? Uh, look what he says there in verse 15. The prayer of faith will save the one who's sick. So it's not the oil. It's not the anointing. But we want to do that. We want to put that on you. So, so the second instruction in our passage is to call for prayer. 
It's not just a general call for prayer. It's for you. When you're sick, when you're in those times, call us and have us come pray. We would love that. We would love that. It happens so rarely. Instruction number three, confess to one another. Look at the second half of 15 and the first part of 16 there. He said, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So this involves confession of sins. We're, we're to confess sins even to one another. I, I don't mind, you know, I mean, I, I kind of like First John 1, 9, right? The idea kind of is between me and God, and I can confess that, right? Well, that's true. This passage makes it clear we're to confess even to one another. And, of course, we don't confess everything to everybody. That'd be dumb, right? We need, to be, we need to be a little bit conscious of the person we're talking to and the context we're in and whatnot, but we need to be free in confessing our sin. More than just, I'm a sinner. Yeah, I'm a sinner too, right? More than that. And we need to have someone in our lives of the same sex that we can go to and talk on a more, with more specificity. We can, we can spell out more clearly what our sins are. We need to be able to do that. And so confession of sins, we're actually going to do that this morning. We're not going to pass microphones around and wait until you've confessed your sins and move the microphone to the next person. That, that would be entertaining, but wouldn't be biblical. So we're not going to do that. But if you think about confession of sin to one another, right, a lot of times our sins are against one another. And if we will go to the person who has sinned against us or against whom we have sinned and we will ask forgiveness and we will deal with that, it heals that relationship. And that makes the body of Christ stronger. That makes Parkside stronger when we do that, when we go and, and seek healing in that relationship with one another. But it also makes us a stronger congregation in the sense that we are openly confessing our sins before God. Remember the sermon series we did on holiness and confession or holiness and, and humility, right? Confession involves humility, us humbling ourselves before one another and before God. And that will increase our, not just humility before one another, our forgiveness with one another, but it will actually cause us to be pure in our faith. So confess to one another. That's the third instruction. The fourth instruction is to pray for one another. Second half of 16. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Pray for one another. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Prayer is powerful. When a child of God trusts God enough to ask him to work in that situation, God works. He answers, and he can do amazing things in our lives. And James gives the example of Elijah. And when we think of Elijah, we normally think of a lot of miracles that he did, great things that he did, um, his faith. You know, the, uh, you, you think about Elijah. The stories about him are great. And what does James focus on? First of all, he says he was a man just like us. He, he's not focusing on the fact that he was working great miracles or he was doing incredible things. He, he focused on the fact that he was just like us. And he prayed, and God shut up the heavens, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed again, and God brought rain. Because prayer is powerful, and prayer is powerful because God is powerful. And that's the example we have here. Pray for one another. Pray for one another like that. Pray for one another that God would forgive our sins. Pray for the healing of other people. Pray for the hurting of other people, the suffering that they're going through. 
Do you know a brother or sister in the Lord whose spiritual life is dry and dusty like that land must have been after three and a half years of no rain? Do you know someone like that? Pray that God would work in their life to solve that. Pray Hosea 10.12 for them. Hosea 10.12 says, Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord that He may come and rain righteousness upon you. Do you know someone like that? Pray for them. And the fifth instruction here is bring back wanderers. Look at verse 19 and 20. It says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the final instruction in the whole book of James, by the way. The whole book of James. And, by the way, it fits in with our sermon series from the whole year. If you think about the gospel essentials starting off with that sermon about the year of revival and then building on gospel essentials and then talking about the holiness of God and our humility before Him. Holiness and humility. And now the book of James, and where does it all tie in? In the end, it's about sinners coming back to God Himself. And these are people who once were among Christians. They were identified as Christians. They were, they were among us. If anyone among you wanders from the truth, right? So it's one of us, one of our own, maybe even Parksiders, right, who've since walked away from the Lord. They've left the church. They've left the faith. They've gone into friendship with the world. They've gone into sin. And his instruction here is go and try to bring them back. Pray for them that they would come to the Lord. Pray that the Lord would forgive their sins, that their eternity is at stake. Their eternity is at stake. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. Don't you want to go save their soul from death? Go and do your best by the power of God, armed with the gospel, and bring that person back to win their soul. Probably each of us knows about a dozen people like that. Maybe more. They used to sit in our pews. They used to come to our Bible studies. They used to be a part of what was going on, but... Now they don't want anything to do with the Lord. Our instruction from James is to to go and seek them. My desire for us is that we would be a church that would go and seek them and bring them back. Not just let them go. Not just forget about them. Good riddance. None of that. That we would go and we would seek to bring them back. Let's become a church who seeks them out and reminds them of the truth of the gospel and the hope of salvation in Christ. That's who James wants us to be here. That's who the Lord wants us to be. And it's a fitting, it's a fitting conclusion or wrap-up of our year of messages.